wanted to do was to talk about peptides because I believe the peptides are one of the uh, kind of interventions that you use. And right. I think, you know, they're up and coming, but I think they're not well understood. And so it would be really good if you could kind of just do an introduction to peptides, kind of what are they, what purpose do they play in the body? And then we can kind of look at some of the, the, the better peptides for uh, aging. I think that people have a little bit of a misunderstanding about peptides because they think that they are this, you know, cool thing that somebody's invented that you take and it makes everything better, right? And really, they're natural entities in our body. So basically, all a peptide is, it's a short chain of amino acids. So if you have less than 50 amino acids, that's called a peptide. 50 to 100 is called a polypeptide bunch of peptide chains, and then greater than 100 is called a protein. So all those proteins that you eat, those are really just more amino acids than a peptide. A peptide is just a smaller chain, and it might have a few as two amino acids. It could just be an arginine of a glycine, for instance. So it could be even just two amino acids, and those are what are called bioregulator peptides. They actually can ingrain into our DNA and make changes in our DNA. So your body makes it's got well, at least 7,000 peptides that we know of. There's probably more that we don't even know of. There are at least 7,000 naturally occurring peptides in the body. And they basically are acting as messengers. So that's how we got into the whole cellular medicine thing is, well, I can use peptides because they're going to actually act as messengers to the cell. So the first step in kind of getting into cellular medicine was how do we, how do we change the cell? And peptides are a really nice way of doing that. They exist in every cell and they act as these messenger molecules and they can impact your hormone transcription. Uh, they can impact your glucose metabolism, right? Think about peptides you guys are all familiar with, insulin. Insulin's a peptide. Basically you eat sugar, insulin appears, it tells the sugar to go into the cells where it's supposed to and regulates things and everything comes back into homeostasis. So basically this is an, you know, a peptide that was discovered in 1920. It didn't come to market I think until 1970s, but it basically has been around for a, an awfully long time. So peptides are nothing new and they've been used in the pharmaceutical world like insulin and there's others that are being used. The interest is growing because people have realized that peptides are probably going to be the answer to things like uh, antibiotic resistant infections. We have all these infections developing that basically are, we can't treat with antibiotics anymore. They're resistant to every antibiotic we pull out. And so peptides, we have what are called antimicrobial peptides that will act differently. So we can use those instead of antibiotics. In the cancer world, they're becoming very prominent to modify cancer cells and, and change and kill cancer cells without killing other cells. There's about 140 clinical trials going on right now in peptides that are, are really you know, getting close to being used for treating the disease. And over, I think, 500 that are in preclinical trials. And... I think people also sort of think of peptides as some, you know, okay, well, you know, the out there people are doing it and you buy it off the black market, but there's 60 FDA approved peptides being used. So there's 60 that are FDA approved being used from everything from cancer, orthopedics, fertility. So, you know, these are nothing, they're, they're, not, they're not some, you know, weird entity that somebody invented. There's something that naturally is made by our body for the most part. Now there are synthetic peptides, there are ones that we've made to do specific goals. But a lot of them that we use are simply peptides that we have lost with age. So I talked about how hormones decline with age. 
So if your hormones are declining with age, so are your peptides. So when we're young, for instance, we have these gi a giant gland in our chest called the thymus gland. It's huge, takes up most of our chest. So if you look at the baby, they've got this giant gland taking up most of their chest. At about puberty, that gland shrinks. By the time you're my age, it's a little calcified nub, a little fatty, fatty replaced, a little nub that's doing nothing. So the thymus gland makes all these important peptides. It makes something called thymus alpha-1, which is a big peptide for immune modulation, for helping me fight off disease, for helping me prevent autoimmune disease where my body is attacking itself. It makes thymus and beta-4, which is critical for repair of tissue if I've been injured or to grow hair, nails. So that those are starting to decline at puberty. What some like, you know, some of the some more out there anti-agers are looking at how do we transplant baby thymuses into people, things like that. But we can give the thymic peptides. We can give back what the thymus gland is making, thymulin, thymus and alpha one, thymus and beta four. We can give those back as peptides since you, you're not making them as much. So we can cycle, go on and off of these peptides to replace the pieces that are lost. Or a peptide called BPC-157, stands for body protective compound 157. It's called a gastric peptide. So it's made by our gut and it's made for a couple of things. Number one, it heals the gut. So gut gets a lot of insults. Number two, it just heals everything. So it's a really key factor when you suffer an injury to have BPC upregulated to heal that injury. But you make less of it as you age or if you have gut problems. So we can give back BPC-157. So those are common, the thymic peptides, BPC-157, are really commonly you know, used peptides in the sort of anti-aging world because they're the natural peptides that your, your, your body is not making very well anymore. So if I look at I'll use those, for instance, if you came to me and you'd hurt your shoulder, I'm definitely going to put you on some BPC, some thymus and beta-4, and another peptide that we use a lot for healing. It's called GHK copper. GHK copper, another peptide naturally produced by our body that has a positive effect on over 500 genes, but it's critical for collagen formation. So for wounds to heal, you have to have GHK copper. For hair to grow, you have to have GHK copper. For a, a tear in your shoulder tendon, you have to have GHK copper. So we'll give back BPC, thymus and beta-4, GHK copper to help you heal. But what I'll do with my patients longevity-wise is I'll cycle them on at least a few times a year. We give them a nice little burst of these, right? Because if you're not making them anymore and I can keep your levels up where they were when you were 15, 16, you're going to heal better, but you're also going to age better. So, so... And then you can get into a deeper dive on the peptides, ones that work very specifically, for instance, on the mitochondria. Our mitochondria are these unique little entities because they're not really, they weren't really part of us. So when we were anaerobic, when we lived in water and didn't breathe air, this bacteria invaded us. And that bacteria allowed us to breathe air, to become aerobic. And subsequently, what we are now being able to breathe air, being able to make energy is all because of these little bacteria that migrate into us, these ancient bacteria. That's what mitochondria are. So they actually contain their own DNA. You inherit that DNA only from your mother. So it's more prone to have damage because you're not getting two different sets of it. So mitochondria then will produce their own peptides, which communicate with your cells, the nucleus, 
So there's this kind of magical relationship of this little thing that's living in you that's controlling everything about your energy. So let's say you got sort of not the best mitochondrial genes from your mom. And as you age, your mitochondrial function decline, all of us. And you can help that by exercising more, eating right, doing those things. But in general, we all see a decline in mitochondria. So what, how does that reflect? The most mitochondria or energy, think about the, the organs in your body that use the most energy. What are they going to be? They're going to be the ones that work all the time. Your brain, your heart, right? By far, need the most energy. So they have the most mitochondrial function. And then skeletal muscle. Skeletal muscle is not working all the time. It rests, but it works a lot and it needs a lot of power. Think about what happens as we age. Our heart starts failing. Our brain starts failing. We start losing muscle. So if I can keep mitochondrial health up and make new mitochondria well, then I can hopefully age better, have more energy. So for instance, there's a peptide called MOTSC that your mitochondria make. It tells your body to make more mitochondria. So when our body's stressed, the mitochondria produce MOTSC and that says, oh, let's spit out some more mitochondria. We need more energy. In the mouse studies on MOTSC, 90% of the mice were able to run longer on a treadmill, run faster on a treadmill, even immediately after taking MOTSC. It has that much impact. So I can give MOTSC periodically to people. Or let's say you're trying to recover from a bad virus that's just knocked you out, knocked out your mitochondrial health, right? Then you can give MOTSC and you can repair that. So I'll cycle MOTSC periodically on people. Again, you're getting the theme. Replace everything you lose. Replace all your hormones. Replace all your peptides that you're losing. If we do that, can we, can we delay aging? Theoretically, we hope so. There's a lot of other pieces to that. But that's, so that's really you know, where the whole peptide story and how we use them, not just for specific diseases. You know, again, I can plot ones for, for specific diseases. Like let's say you have an infection that's not healing. Peptide called LL37, which is an antimicrobial peptide. We talked about how getting all these infections that are resistant to antibiotics. Well, LL37 is our natural antibiotic. And it comes from vitamin D. It's one of the reasons vitamin D is so important. But let's say you're old, you have a bad wound. My mom, uh, you know, before she died, had you know, she had type 2 diabetes. She was, you know, she was 90 some years old. And she got this infection on her toe that wasn't healing. They're going to amputate her toe. You know, I'm like, okay, you amputate her toe at whatever, 92. This is not going to be good. And all I did was start injecting a little LL37 into that toe that they that tried treating with everything they could. And within two weeks, it was healed. I mean, that's how powerful these, these some of these peptides are. So antimicrobial peptides, you're going to see more and more come into the forefront in pharmaceutical industry too, because we can't rely. You know, antibiotic resistance is becoming a huge, huge issue, particularly with like, like possible acquired infection. So, so we're going to see more and more of these antimicrobial peptides. So if you had, if you came to me with an infection that's not healing, I could put on LL37. I could use GHK copper, thymocin beta-4. So we can use them for healing and recovery of injuries, of viruses, of infections, or, and, or we can just make sure that we keep levels up. So I'll cycle my patients at least four, three, four times a year. I'll just cycle them on through a peptide cycle make sure that we're replacing everything that's lost. That makes sense? That does. So you're cycling, but so what form, how do you administer these uh, peptides? What form do they take? Do, it seems to me that if you eat them just like a protein, they would get like broken down into the constituent uh, 
amino acids, which would not be very helpful. So do they all have to be injected? Is there other ways? So almost all the peptides have to be injected. There are a few. BPC, because it's a Mm -hmm. gastric peptide, so it tolerates gastric juices pretty well because that's where it was made. So BPC can be taken orally. Interestingly, though, it works much better for joint health as an injection. It works great for gut health as an oral pill. So there are a few that can be taken orally. And then some of the, what we call bioregulator peptides, these, these came mostly from Dr. Kavinson's lab in Russia. They're like two amino acids. And so some of the bioregulators, which are designed really to get in a sort of alter DNA more than do anything specific from a, a, a receptor point, uh, those are theoretically useful orally. They've not been well studied here in the US. There's some studies ongoing with them. Most of the studies come out of Kavinson's lab in Russia. So there's still a little bit of a, um, a skepticism, I think, around them. But I do think there's probably some bioregulator peptides that are, are, are good and work orally. But most of the peptides that we're doing, we're, we're doing as injections. So that's tough, right? Because we're asking people sometimes to give, you know, if I'm trying to heal you, you know, four or five injections a day. And you can't just take one syringe and I'm gonna mix a little BPC and times beta four and uh, growth hormones, Kregogs, and this all together inject them. Unfortunately, if I mix them in my syringe, they decide, wow, that amino acid looks better than my amino acid. I'm gonna go attach to this one. And you create a hodgepodge of, you don't know what, of some different peptides that you don't know what they're doing. And I will tell you, I've seen, and, and your listeners need to watch out for this because I have seen people selling syringes of, you know, here's your, you know, your anti-aging syringe. And it's ridiculous. You cannot mix peptides like that. There are a few peptides that maybe are okay mixed. In general, I have everybody inject each one separately. So it becomes a little bit of a, a somewhat of an injection fatigue. I mean, I'm giving myself, you know, oftentimes, you know, at least two injections a day. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, and and I'll take breaks. It just becomes exhausting and expensive. So I'll take breaks away from things too. And then, you know, I'll use, I'll go through periods where I may be doing four or five injections, right? If I'm really trying to build something back up. So I I think that may be one of the harder things for people. I've almost found now that injections are simpler than me swallowing a bunch of pills, but, but it is, you know, it's a little subcutaneous injection with an insulin syringe. So it doesn't hurt. It just becomes you know, sort of a tedious habit. Right. Is it, so what kind of dose, how are they dosed? Are they dosed in milligrams or, or like millions of units or something? Well, both. So it's usually a, you know, a, they come in a milligram per mil, right? So if you have an insulin syringe, which is one mil, we would have people do maybe 0.2 mils. That would be, you know, tw- you know 20 micrograms. So usually they're microgram dosing, like 500 micrograms for BPC, things like that. Some of them are dosed based on weight. So sometimes we dose them based on weight on people or what we're trying to achieve. I'm going to dose them differently for somebody who I'm trying to get through an acute illness than somebody who I'm using them as a maintenance, right? So if I may have to dose much higher if I'm trying to get you through an acute illness and I want your immune system really rubbed up, I would have to dose higher than if I'm just trying to keep your immune system stable. So dosing can range all over. There are some peptides that are very strict dosing and some peptides like BPC, BPC has no, you could inject it all day long. It would do no damage. It's that safe of a peptide. So, you know, so when you say are they units, well, if an insulin syringe basically 0.2 mils is 20 units, 
So that would be 20 units, but it's really, a, they're, they're most are microgram or milligram dosing. And then you have to sort of figure that out in your insulin syringe where that would be in terms of units. So most of these peptides you've been talking about, so you, you said there was a, a number like 60 that were FDA approved in some way, and they could be, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, uh, prescribed by a doctor. So for, for the like BPC, what is the regulatory kind of position for that? Is it a supplement or well, an injectable supplement or is, is it FDA approved? The, yeah, the oral has been kind of now marketed more as a supplement. It's chains of amino acids, right? The peptides, so peptides are not, they're not licensed, they're not uh, regulated by the FDA, but the ingredients are. So the ingredients that are obtained to make the peptides, amino acids, are FDA approved ingredients. So in that sense, all the, like all the compounding pharmacies that we get are peptides from our the FDA comes in and investigates them on a regular basis. They're all basically uh, facilities that buy, that pass FDA regulations, even though the peptides themselves are not FDA approved. Something has to do again with using FDA approved ingredients and and staying compliant with these raw materials come from an FDA registered CGMP manufactured facility, and that's where you, there's a lot of peptides online potentially that are not use, like, utilizing the, you know, that, that aren't using that those same, you know, where it's a potent pure product where you have FDA registered CGMP you know, raw ingredients that are utilized. But that's sort of how the, you know, the workaround is uh, in terms of that. Right. So if I was interested in getting started with peptides, so I think they sound really good. And certainly the way you describe them, they sound very good. So how do I go about doing that, right? I mean, can I just do it on my own? Should I go and see a, I guess, a specialist doctor? How would you start? There's so much information online now. It's funny, I just, you know, I did still a course on peptides and I always, this is how I sort of look at that. You can right now decide you're going to go climb Mount Everest and get your map and get the, the tools you'll need and get how you should dress. And you can do it by yourself. The downside is that your likelihood of making it to the top of Mount Everest alive are not great. Versus if you go with your Sherpa guides who know exactly as they're going along that trail, wow, here's where you gotta be really careful because of this, or you've gotta have this tool right here. You're gonna have a lot better chance of success. So yes, you can read and say, okay, this is how I dose BPC. This is how I dose my growth hormone secretagogues and read about that and do it. And, and you may, may do fine. You may make it to the top of Everest. But what I've learned, I've been doing peptides a long time, is there's a lot more to it than just, you know, do this, do this. There's a lot of, you know, timing of when, you know, when do you dose this compared to this? How do, when do you cycle these? So how do you cycle these more appropriately? How do I combine peptides to get the best efficacy for them? And so I think that the short answer is yes, you can just read, get on Reddit, watch podcasts and do this yourself. I think a lot of people do that and they waste a lot of money and then they come to us and they go, well, I tried that and it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is because it was being done inappropriately or with products that weren't good. You know, if you're getting things from research chemical faculty, they may be fine. They might, they might be fine, but you really just don't know. It's not a, 
you know, it's not a facility that's being checked out. They're not having third party checking of all their products. They may be fine. They may not. And your dosing may be right for 90% of the population. It's not right for you. So I think that the key is if you can find somebody who is really knowledgeable in peptides, some practitioner, and doesn't necessarily have to be a physician, but some practitioner who is really knowledgeable at peptides who can guide you along that way, then I think you're going to do a whole lot better in reaching your goals. I, you know, peptides continue to be difficult for me, and I've been doing it for years and years and years and years. You know, you, you know, trying to get things perfect and getting things where, you know, you have the right peptides mixed together for the right person for the right goals. It's not easy. So even if I tell you right now, BPC enzymes and beta four do this, how do you how do you appropriately mix them and do them for you? How do you combine them with mod FC or other peptides? And if you're not getting success, what do we need to change? So I think that 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 finding a good practitioner and, and you know, we through uh, I'm a faculty with seed scientific research and performance and and Bill Seeds was one of the sort of the first guys who started really pushing peptides. He's amazing, he's brilliant at them. And, and it's because he understands the cell and peptides have such a huge effect on cellular metabolism. So his whole piece was trying to learn the cell through peptides a little bit. So he kind of introduced me to peptides and, and most of the world to peptides. And, and he has a training, we do a training program through SSRP. So you can go to the seed scientific research and performance SSRP, and you can look for a practitioner that's close to you. A lot, you know, we do, we, we see people internationally. The hard thing about international clients is sometimes getting peptides to them is not easy. Uh, um, you know, getting things across across borders and across customs isn't always easy. Sometimes getting getting the product to people is not easy, but we, you know, but we do a lot with ad advising and then trying to help people get things. So I think that that's your best way is go to, go to SSRP, look for a provider that, you know, that looks like somebody you want to work with and work with them in an appropriate fashion. And you're just going to have so much more luck. And I know that people say, well, it's cheaper to just do this on your own. It, just like it's cheaper to climb Everest on your own, well, much cheaper, but success is not going to be there. Right. Uh, so we, we talked about a, a lot of peptides, actually, but I was, you know, if you were going to pick your top three for anti-aging or for longevity is a better word, um, which would those be? Uh, are they the ones we've already mentioned or others? I think the top are going to be thymulin, which is sort of the, basic thymic peptide that's going to replace a lot of the thymus, thymus piece. So again, getting that right, because the thymic peptides are so critical to our immune health and immune health is probably linked to almost every cellular disease that there is. We have to keep our immune system very healthy. So I think you have to have thymic peptides in the mix. I think BPC-157, BPC-157 not only has benefits for healing, it has cognitive benefits, it has benefits for glucose metabolism. It's a very far-reaching and very, very safe peptide. So bethymulin, BPC, and the last one I didn't mention before is the other thing that goes away as we age is growth hormone. Mm -hmm. And keeping growth hormone levels at a reasonable level is very important to us feeling good, looking good, having good muscle. The problem with growth hormone, which is a hormone, is that if you try and just take exogenous growth hormone, it's very hard not to dose it so that you get this kind of high levels, low levels, and you look at people who are taking growth hormone over time, the, the old bodybuilders, think about the old bodybuilders, you know, they had this kind of like turtle, they had this sort of weird, yes, they look like they had a defined belly, but sort of protruded out. 
the reason was because they had actually gotten organomegaly. Their spleens and livers had grown because of growth hormone. So you have to be really careful with growth hormone. So by far the better option to keep growth hormone levels up is what we call growth hormone secretagogues. And those are peptides. The most common ones are CJC and ipamorelin. Those are peptides that basically tell your own pituitary to just release, to make and release a little more growth hormone. So you can get nice physiologic levels of growth hormone, not these supra physiologic, super high levels, but physiologic levels that stay at a nice, good, healthy level as opposed to these massive dosings that 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 are going to have some good and some harm. So so I would, you know, one of the things I do pretty consistently is five out of seven days of the week, I've got my growth hormone secretagogues, thymule and I cycle on and off of, EPCI cycle on and off of. So those would be probably my three top choices. I will say I love MOT-SC as, again, a mitochondrial peptide, and I'm a huge mitochondrial advocate that we've got to keep the mitochondria healthy. And so I do think you need to cycle MOT-SC periodically or figure out some other way to get mitochondrial biogenesis. So that's the other one that I would, I would add in. So give me four. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I was thinking whether you could take urolithin A to try and encourage your um, yeah, urolithin A is a great supplement, right? To encourage yeah. mitochondrial health, right? So I, yeah. I love urolithin A uh, and mm. that that will improve mitochondrial biogenesis. You're right. In fact, the studies on urolithin A even took high-level athletes. There was a recent study that they took high-level athletes. So you think, okay, well, these guys are already top of their game. These were the top runners and they gave them urolithin A and they still increased their performance. But urolithin A has some very, very good mitochondrial enhancing properties and I use it a lot. So I think that is a nice option as a supplement to try and get some mitochondrial biogenesis. It's not as powerful as MOT-SC, mm-hmm. but also easy, easy to take, easy to get. I it's, it's one of my regular supplements that I do all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I will use it a lot post when people have had like, you know, long COVID symptoms, uh, post-viral fatigues. My, the urolithin A is a great option. So it's a good one to bring up. 